Our text for this morning is Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And as we begin this morning, I want to ask a question. What ought to be one of the most secure and safe places of rest for us on a human level? If we think of our relationships, what should be one of the most secure places or relationships of rest? It's marriage, isn't it? Marriage, home, and family. It ought to be one of the most secure places in the world, a haven, a harbor of rest where we can be open with each other, where we can be vulnerable with each other, where we can find help and rest in a godly home, in a godly marriage. Why is that? Because the covenant of marriage, the covenant provides a place of security and rest. The vows that we make in marriage is not just the paper we sign. The vows that we make in marriage are lifelong vows that we make to each other so that we can be vulnerable, so that we don't walk out on each other when we disappoint each other and we fail each other. This is largely lost today, isn't it? Even in our own thinking, sometimes we fail to realize the permanence and the security of the marriage covenant, particularly as the world and sin encroaches on this God-given and God-designed place of security for human beings. From the very beginning, God gave the institution of marriage, the covenant of marriage, to guide humanity in its relationships, to provide this place of security and companionship. But if we go one step further, the covenant of marriage is a pattern of heavenly things. It's a pattern of spiritual things. It's a picture, a representation of spiritual marriage, of the relationship between Christ and His church, between Christ and believers this morning. So the relationship we enjoy on a human level is a picture of the relationship that believers enjoy with Christ on a spiritual level. Well, if marriage is a place of security, and that ought to be for us today how much more true it was, or is equally true in the days of the judges, we know that it was a time of gross immorality. And as Ruth and Naomi enter into the land of Israel now, they are insecure, aren't they? They are widows. Widows and orphans were considered vulnerable people. Lacking this rest and this security of this relationship. And so as we consider these things this morning, we see that this place of security and rest is a spiritual picture of a sinner's rest in covenant with Christ. And so we want to underline this morning that the only place of eternal and lasting security is under the wings of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So as much as we find rest and security in marriage on a human level, Eternal and lasting security is found in marriage with Christ, in union with Christ, the Redeemer. These themes are unfolded for us in these opening verses of chapter 3. And so our theme is this, rest under the Redeemer's wings. 
rest under the Redeemer's wings. First of all, this rest is sought in Naomi's instruction. Secondly, it's sought in Ruth's obedience. And thirdly, it's sought in Ruth's request or proposal of Boaz. So first of all, this rest under the Redeemer's wings is sought in Naomi's instruction. In the verses preceding this in chapter 2, we find Naomi's heart being changed by the revelation of the Lord's kindness through Boaz. Ruth had returned home from the field with the evidence of Boaz's generosity, his kindness. She was staggering under the weight of that wheat that she had gleaned. She had been bursting with the glad news of Boaz's protection and provision. We heard of Naomi's response, evidencing a changed heart, that her heart was being changed as she saw all of this laid out in front of her. She responds in verse 20 of chapter 2, Blessed be he of the Lord, or blessed be he by the Lord, the Lord who has not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. So there's a, there's a ray of hope, isn't there, that's, that's broadening as Naomi is beginning to understand what God is doing. And now Naomi evidences further change of heart as she addresses the needs of Ruth. With the harvest over, seemingly, Naomi asks Ruth a question that reveals her intentions for Ruth as well as her own changed heart, and she asks this in verse 1 of our text. My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? At the heart of Naomi's question is this issue of rest, or also translated as security. She wants that for Ruth. The best place to find that rest and that security was in a husband. And so we see how God continues to work in Naomi's heart. Not just in changing her perspective of God's providence, but now also recognizing her role in that providence. Her bitterness and her inward-looking heart gives way to seeking rest, seeking the good of her family, as she recognizes now that it's the Lord's covenant faithfulness that has led them to Bethlehem, that has led them into the fields of Boaz, that has led them straight into the influence of this man who is a near kinsman. In the Hebrew, that word is goel, the word for near kinsman. Can also be translated redeemer. So, how the story suddenly changes here, doesn't it? Going from hopelessness. The hand of the Almighty has gone out against me. The totality of God's providence was against Naomi as she entered into the walls of Bethlehem. But God has not left her, God has dealt with her in his kindness. He has not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead because now there is this man named Boaz, the man who provided for them, the man who in God's provision is now fitted and suited to be the goel, to be the redeemer for them. Her backsliding heart is restored again and she begins to function again in faith. And so this question is provoked from that changed heart, from that faith that is now resting in the kindness of the Lord. Consider for a moment what she had told Ruth in chapter 1, verse 9. She had told Ruth to return to Moab. The Lord grants that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. She's telling them to return to Moab because that's where security was to be found. That's what she thought in the darkness of her soul, the darkness of her own bereavement. 
the darkness of God's providence. In those moments, she thought that security could only be found in Moab. Go back to the house of your husband. Perhaps the Lord will deal kindly with you there and give you a husband. But now, she asks this question. My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? It's astounding to think that Naomi could have been the instrument in thrusting Ruth back into Moab, back into the place of spiritual insecurity, back to the place of death and of dying, back into the place of hopelessness. But it's now as if she comes alive again and she recognizes how foolish she was. Shall I not seek rest for thee that it may be well with thee? Her past words are now adjusted to present reality and God's kindness and dealings with her, the hope of redemption for herself and Ruth in the person of Boaz. She recognizes that marriage for Ruth is the very prospect of hope for herself that she had nearly sent back to Moab. And now Naomi will set to work in securing this rest and security for, Na- for, for Ruth, not from among the people of Moab, but from the covenant people of God. God in His providence has placed them in Bethlehem. God in His providence had brought them into the field of Boaz. Naomi had learned that the hand of the Almighty was not against her, but the hand of the Almighty was for her. Shall I not seek rest for thee? It is the Lord's kindness, His faithfulness, His everlasting love that Ruth has not gone back to Moab. It is the Lord's kindness that Ruth is with Naomi now. And then Naomi turns her question into clear instructions for Ruth to follow. In verse 2, And now is not Boaz of our kindred with whose maidens thou wast? It's another question, but with a, a focused direction to get Ruth thinking along the lines that Naomi is thinking now. Boaz is one of our kindred, isn't he? He's from the clan of Elimelech, as we saw in Ruth 2, verses 1 through 3. He's close to them in relation. He's well qualified to be a redeemer. He's the mighty man of wealth, you recall. Naomi's faith actively seeks the redemption that is bound up in the person of Boaz. He's shown tremendous kindness and generosity to Ruth. So with this question, what is Naomi saying? She's saying, Ruth, you know. You know that this man Boaz is our only hope of redemption. He's the qualified rest giver. He's really the only one that can give us this security that we need. The security of redemption. The security of marriage. Let's pause here for a moment and consider the implications of what Naomi is undergoing here. The change of her backslidden condition. She had claimed the Lord's hand had gone out against her, but now it is for her. Now she recognizes that the only hope of security, of rest and redemption lies with Boaz to whom God had providentially led them. She addresses Ruth as my daughter. She she owns her. She takes up the language of Boaz in chapter 2 who addresses her as daughter as well. So her complete perspective has turned around. We see a pattern here, don't we? A 
pattern in how God works. In the lives of those who are backslidden, the lives of those who are embittered by God's providence. It's the beginning of a new year. Maybe you looked forward to a year that's going to be easier. 2023 was maybe difficult and challenging for you, and you, you're perhaps embittered by God's providence. You're wrestling, bitter, perhaps even towards God. My friend, these words are written to encourage you this morning to a better view of God's providence. We need to understand that God's providence is always, not always, a rose petal strewn path. It's not always an easy path. When we live the Christian life, God doesn't call us to an easy life. It's a cross-shaped life, isn't it? It's a life that can be hard. It's a life in which the providence of God comes to sanctify us. And how are the hard edges of our sin taken away? It's through the rubbing of God's providence, isn't it? When we rub up against the hard things of life, God uses that to form us and to shape us into the image of Christ. He doesn't leave us alone, but He's with us in the furnace of affliction so that we might come forth as gold. That's what Job testified as he was in the furnace, intense suffering. Naomi as well went through intense suffering. She too challenged God with her words. But we see that when God works through severe mercy, This is where he brings backsliders ultimately. This is where he brings sinners. This is where he's bringing each one of us this morning to consider that our only hope of rest and security and redemption is found in the greater Boaz. You see, this is one of the great themes of the book of Ruth, that providence is serving redemption not just on the grand scale of the Lord Jesus coming according to the promise. As we see the progress of redemption in the Old Testament and being fulfilled in Christ, but also on the individual level. How God's providence in each of our lives is intended to bring us to the feet of Christ. So God's providence is not haphazard. It's not aimless but has the great aim this morning of bringing us to the feet of Christ. And not just once. We see in the life of Naomi that she needed to be brought there again. Time and time again, even those who are most advanced in the faith are brought to this place again, aren't we? Providence serves redemption. Providence serves to magnify and to lift up Christ as the only Redeemer this morning where we will find rest and security. So it's in covenant with Him this morning that we will find rest. The grace of the greater Boaz. Well, Naomi continues her instruction to Ruth. In verses 2 and 3. Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself therefore and anoint thee and put thy raiment upon thee. Get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. If we consider the background of what's happening here, it was common knowledge that the owners of the field would sleep on the threshing floor at night to protect the grain that had been gleaned during the day. The enemies, the Midianites, would often come down from the hills and steal what was there as part of God's judgment against Israel's unfaithfulness. There would be thieves in the land of Israel trying to steal the grain. 
And so there's this common knowledge. The farmers would sleep on the threshing floor during the time of harvest. Naomi operates on this common assumption and tells Ruth to get herself ready. Most commentators see this washing and anointing and putting clothes on as Naomi instructing Ruth to take off the garments of mourning for her husband Malon and to put on the garments that signify that she is available for marriage. That her time of mourning is now over. She's eligible for marriage. This would be a bold statement coming from this Moabitess, recently immigrated to Israel, still a stranger in large measure. And so she is to wait until Boaz is done eating and drinking to make herself known. She is to do this privately. Naomi continues, and it shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. She's to wait there for Boaz's instructions. Naomi's words are this, getting at the spirit of what she is suggesting and instructing Ruth to do. Put off the garments of mourning and put on a submissive spirit at the feet of Boaz and wait for him. She's preparing Ruth for finding that rest in marriage with Boaz. This is the prelude, as it were, to marriage, to the proposal. We could call it instructions for meeting the Redeemer, for coming to the Redeemer. Words of faith that take hold of the one last hope that is available to Naomi and to Ruth. Approach him this way, Ruth. He is our hope of redemption. Instructions for meeting the Redeemer. Is this not how we are instructed this morning? to meet with the Redeemer as well, to put off the garments of mourning, to put off the garments associated with death, to go and sit at the feet of Christ with a submissive spirit, to find rest and security in Him alone because He is your only hope of redemption. We hear lots of instruction, day by day, week by week. But here is instruction this morning from a heart that is well-intentioned for you to find rest and security, not in any mere human relationship, but in union with Christ. So how do you approach the Redeemer? With a heart of submission, with a heart of humility, with a heart of waiting upon Him, knowing that He is gracious. See, this is how faith operates when we come to Christ. Faith is obedient, and that's what we see in our second thought, that this rest and security is sought by Ruth's obedience. Ruth fully concurs with Naomi's instructions. She responds with words of of obedience, even obedient faith. She doesn't argue with Naomi. She simply says in verse 5, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. No protest. She simply says that she will do it. All of it. That little word all there is indicative of a wholehearted obedience. I'll go to him, but I won't lay down. 
No, that's not what she says. All that thou hast said, I will do. What a lesson of faith this is, isn't it? Do you demonstrate such faith when you're urged to go and meet your Redeemer? How often don't we throw up questions? How often don't we throw up our own qualifications, our own challenges? Will you do all that He says to you to do this morning? Are the words of your mouth evidence of where your heart is and where your actions will lead you? Are you changed and ready and willing to obey every word that comes to instruct us? Ruth is not selective in her obedience, but her obedience is fully expressed knowing that her only hope lies with Boaz. All I will do. Sinner, if your only hope is in Christ as your Redeemer, would you not express obedience to do what it takes to be redeemed by Him? To submit to Him? Maybe you say this morning, well, that obedience is out of my reach. I'm a sinner. I can't obey. But if Christ instructs you it's even commands you to come this morning. Are your excuses really a matter of inability? In light of who Christ is as this mighty man who is able to redeem? Or is it actually a matter of unwillingness? You're still hanging on to something that you want to cling to. That you want to bring to the table. Maybe there's still an anchor in Moab that's hindering you from obeying the call of Christ this morning. My friend, the greater Boaz is ready to meet with you. That's what his word indicates to us this morning. If you're unwilling, He is willing. If you lack obedience, He can give that obedience. He delights to give it. He draws sinners this morning with His, pow <clears throat> with his power and with His protection. That same power that draws you there will also give you that willingness to obey, the power to obey. The gospel commands you this morning to come and find rest and security in Christ. Will you follow up with this statement of obedience? Lord, all that you say, I will do. Well, Ruth follows up her words of obedience with actions of obedience. Faith not only speaks, but faith also acts, doesn't it? In verse 6, and she went down unto the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. There's that word all again. She follows instructions to the letter. Her intent is followed through in action. The obedience of faith leads her to the threshing floor at night. She's dressed no longer in the garments of mourning, but garbed in clothing that indicates her availability for marriage. This is not blind obedience. This is obedience that calculates the cost, the reality of what she is doing. By coming to Boaz at midnight... By doing all these things, she could be very well opening herself up for scandal. What is this Gentile woman doing on the threshing floor at midnight? She could open herself up to danger. It was very common in those days for the harvesters to engage in immorality. 
If Boaz had pledged protection for her in the fields, how much more she needs it on the threshing floor at midnight. There's tremendous risk associated with what Ruth is doing here. The risk of being found out, the risk of scandal, the risk of rejection even by, by Boaz, the risk of being a Gentile, of being a Moabite, coming to an Israelite at night. And yet she obeys. Why? Because Boaz is their only hope of redemption. Their only hope of rest and security. My friend, will you follow through with the obedience of faith, with the actions of such obedience when the prospects of redemption are found alone in the greater Boaz? Maybe you're still sitting on the fence this morning. You're calculating the risk. And you're saying, well, I I can't really. It's just too risky for me. There's a fear of rejection. How, How do I know that Christ will receive me? There's a fear of scandal. Do you know who I really am? I don't, but Christ does. There's fear. But a sinner coming to the greater Boaz for redemption is beyond the pale of acceptance. You're too far gone. My friend, the greater Boaz still draws sinners. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, there is room at the feet of Boaz. That's where Ruth is drawn. And that's where Christ draws sinners this morning. So calculate the cost. But also know that when you follow Christ, you're taking up your cross. There is risk. There is challenge ahead. But Christ is there. Let that be the controlling factor this morning to set all those excuses at naught. To silence those voices that are challenging you to keep you away from Christ. But go with one focus. The greater Boaz. Forget yourself. As long as you do not forget yourself, there will always be an excuse. There will always be a hindrance. But focus on the greater Boaz. He's worthy. We see the heart of obedience that drives the action and resolve of Ruth. She's focused on getting to Boaz. In verse 7, we have the language of observation as we see Ruth coming in to the threshing floor. We see Boaz there when he had eaten and drunk in verse 7, and his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, setting up what is to follow. And these words, his heart was merry, does not mean that Boaz was drunk. The word there merely indicates that he's enjoyed the fruit of his labor after a long, hard day of work. He's eaten a satisfying meal, perhaps drunk a glass of wine. He's tired. He's full, he's satisfied, and he lays down. And then Ruth comes privately, softly, uncovers his feet, and lays herself down. So we read in the latter part of verse 7. There she comes with that attitude of submissive, quiet obedience of faith. She does not draw attention to herself. 
Her focus is on Boaz and her desire for rest and security in marriage with him. She lays down at his feet and awaits his response. Here's another lesson for faith, isn't it? Faith, in one sense, is expressed publicly and corporately. When young people or a new member comes in from the outside, they profess their faith before God and before the congregation. The profession of faith is a, a public thing. Behind that public profession, though, is a private matter. Faith is also a private affair, one in which a, a sinner comes to find redemption in Christ, the greater Boaz. And so faith does not draw attention to a person or to the person coming to Christ, but it focuses quietly on Christ. It seeks rest in Christ apart from others noticing or even knowing the deepest workings of the Spirit. It comes quietly, submissively, waits at the feet of Christ. It waits with anticipation, doesn't it? Awaiting the response of Christ just like Ruth was waiting for the response of Boaz. It's true for the first time that we come to Christ, but it's true time and time again as we come to Christ in the life of faith. We don't announce from the rooftops that we come to Christ and that we wait there quietly. That would undercut the entire reality of submissive, quiet obedience at the feet of Christ. Now we come and we wait quietly, but with anticipation in order to make our request now, in order to make this proposal as Ruth does. And that's what we see in our third and last thought this morning. This rest under the Redeemer's wings is sought by Ruth's proposal. The intrigue of this marriage proposal comes at midnight in verse 8. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Boaz's initial response is, is one of fear, and that's what we need to recognize. This, after all, is a, a human story. There is a woman laying at his feet at midnight, highly unusual. It's not just a sleep-induced fear that Boaz wakes up and, and says, what's going on here? There's a fear of scandal. Boaz is a man of integrity. Not a perfect man, but a man of integrity in his dealings with people. His own earlier intentions to protect Ruth in the field indicates his gentle and pure intention towards her. He stands out amongst the culture of his day. A man who protects the vulnerable. How many of our men this morning stand out in this way, with integrity? Not just sexual integrity this morning, but integrity in all of life. See, all of this is bound up with Boaz. And so his fear here is the fear of a woman being found at his feet and the scandal that it might bring. But also the fear of simply not knowing what's going on. But there's something else to note in this verse that speaks to the future union between Boaz and Ruth. That's the use of the word man and woman. Notice that the narrator, the one who wrote the book of Ruth, switches. He doesn't use their personal names now, but he uses generic terms of man and woman. Some commentators argue and say, well, the narrator is simply showing that this is something anonymous. Ruth is unknown to Boaz. In these moments, well, that could be true. But the intentional use of these words apart from their names also brings us squarely back to creation. 
the first marriage between Adam and Eve. Genesis 2, verse 22 and 23. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The Hebrew words for man and woman in Genesis 2 are the same words that are used in Ruth 3, verse 8. They are common words. But the fact that they're used in this way, shifting from the personal names of Boaz and Ruth to simply the generic terms, bring us back to Genesis 2. What we have here is an echo of creation. That God is bringing these two people, a man and a woman, together in marriage. It's a God-ordained marriage. We sometimes shy away from arranged marriages, and, and rightly so. But in reality, in God's providence, every marriage is, an, is such a marriage, an arranged marriage. A heaven-ordained marriage. The man and the woman are brought together on the threshing floor in God's providence to serve the purpose of redemption. And there's the response of Ruth to Boaz's question, Who art thou? And again, she responds humbly with a simple, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. I'm subservient to your response, Boaz. I'm holy at your mercy in these moments as I'm living here. She doesn't have to say more. How she identifies herself as filled with humility reminds us of the return of the prodigal son to his father. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your servants. You recall how Boaz addressed her in the field, my daughter? How grace elevates sinners who've been saved to the position of sons and daughters in the family of God. But here she simply says, I'm your handmaid. I'm your servant. She's ready to do his bidding in this matter. The response to Naomi lines up with her response to Boaz. She's a servant in the grand scheme of redemption. And though she does not presume, neither does she hide her boldness. Contrary, or in addition to Naomi's instruction, she takes hold of Boaz's protection and security. In a sense, she takes matters in her own hands, but in a good way. She says to him, spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid. She recognizes here that her only hope of redemption is with Boaz. And so she makes this request. Spread your skirt over me. She's not suggesting anything immoral with this request or anything untoward as some would like to suggest. That Ruth is reverting back to her Moabite identity here. She's manipulating the situation. She is pure in her intentions. Wholly pure. In fact, we need to understand this statement in light of what Boaz says in Ruth 2 verse 12. He says, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord. And then Boaz says, under whose wings thou art come to trust. It's this last phrase in particular that gives us a theological understanding and a pure understanding of what Ruth is asking here. She's making a marriage proposal. When she asks for Boaz to spread his skirt over her, she is asking for his wings over her. The word for wings and the word for skirt are identical in the Hebrew. What Boaz has confirmed for her spiritually in coming under the wings of the Lord, she is now asking for in terms of marriage from Boaz. 
taking that which is the reality of heaven and the spiritual things into this realm of the human. What I have in union with the Lord, I want in union with you, Boaz, in marriage. She's not asking for mere clothing from Boaz. She's asking for marriage for the stability and the security of the covenant of marriage. This is further buttressed with the language from the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 16, verse 8, where the Lord says to Israel, Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. And I spread my skirt over thee, and covered thy nakedness, yea, I swear unto thee, and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. So the spreading of the skirt was symbolic of the protection of the covenant of marriage. Ruth simply asks here that Boaz becomes the instrument of God's redeeming love for her. Cover me with your wings. Cover me with your skirts. Marry me, Boaz. This is what I'm seeking. Security, protection, redemption. And so what this marriage proposal points out in real life between Ruth and Boaz is also a spiritual picture of what happens to those who seek redemption in Christ and spiritual marriage with Him. And so there's no greater security, is there, than the covenant of grace which marries a sinner to Christ, the greater Boaz. There is no surer protection than coming under His wings, under His skirt, as it were, where He takes the sinner and He hides them in covenant with Him, eternally secure and at rest. Here again we see Christ being lifted out of the narrative, as it were, in this beautiful picture of marriage. We get a better understanding of what Paul is teaching in Ephesians 5 regarding Christ and the church. Between Christ and sinners who come seeking Him this morning. It's not presumption to stand before the Lord this morning and to take the boldness of faith and say to Him, spread Thy skirt over Thy servant. See, this does not elevate the petitioner, but it elevates the one who can give that protection because Christ is most honored and we seek that protection from Him. That's the reality. And so here is where the hope of redemption lies, under the wings of the Redeemer, who is Christ. And all of this demonstrates faith again. She says in verse 9, For thou art a near kinsman, She grounds the entire proposal on this one fact. Boaz is a near kinsman. Boaz is the Goel, the Redeemer. He is the one upon whom Naomi and and Ruth have staked their hopes of redemption. It's all grounded on this one person in God's providence. And if Boaz is a type of Christ... Isn't this the right spiritual response in light of who Christ is? Is he not the near kinsman? Is he not the Goel far outstripping Boaz, doing for Naomi and Ruth what Boaz ultimately could not do? And so you can go to him this morning, sinner, pleading his office, pleading his person as the Redeemer, the hope of Redemption is not grounded in you. It's not grounded in what you feel. It's not grounded in the the measure of your faith. It's not grounded in the measure of anything that you bring. 
but it's grounded alone in who Christ is. You can stake your hope of redemption upon Him. You can come boldly this morning, laying hold of the protection of His wings, knowing of a surety from His Word this morning that He will not turn you away. Are you seeking rest and security for your soul? You'll not find it apart from marriage with Christ. So the human relationship of marriage ought to be one of the most secure places in the world. But what we see happening here on the pages of the sacred word this morning reminds us that that human relationship of marriage points us back to our relationship or lack of it with Christ as the only sure place of security. And so this morning, we repeat and we remind you that there is no more sure and secure relationship that a sinner can enjoy than to be in union with Christ. This morning you've been instructed on how to go. You've been instructed that Christ is waiting and ready to meet with you. So it's not presumption to ask for that marriage. It's not presumption to ask for His wings to cover you. But remember that when you ask for Christ to spread His skirt of protection over you, covering all of your sin, it magnifies Him all the more. So where will you seek rest this morning? I pray you seek it in Christ alone. Amen. Lord, we thank Thee for Thy Word this morning, how it instructs us to come to Christ. Lord, give us that heart of humility, of submission, but also of this holy boldness that takes hold and grounds our request for marriage with Thee in who Thou art. Thank Thee for this beautiful narrative, this love story on a human level, but ultimately a love story of how heaven has come down to earth, how God has come seeking lost sinners to seek and to save that which is lost. May thy word find us this morning, whether we are believers who have wrestled with thy providence, whether we are sinners who've never tasted of that grace before, whether we come for the thousandth time, we pray, Lord, that thou wilt draw us once more, unite us to thee by faith, reminding us of that union out of which we are to live and to walk. We ask this in Jesus' name alone.